0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another weekly episode of Limitless Podcast, a place where we bring together global leaders in sales and marketing. My name is Sanjana and I'm the host of Limitless Podcast. Today's episode is a webinar replay from our Limitless webinar series. We host two to three webinars every month with world-class sales and marketing influencers. Uh, We have hosted Jeb Blunt, John Barrows, Morgan Ingram, Sangram Vajray, Nancy Nardin, Tibur Shanto, to name a few. I have a pretty big list of who was featured on our webinar. If you wanna check out our complete webinar series, I have given the link in the description. Please do check it out. All right, so today's episode is about how to develop a winning sales strategy by Kent holland He'll be walking us through how to design an effective sales organization in the modern SaaS ecosystem and important things like personalization at scale, to stand out from the noise. Um, And he will also be focusing on identifying the right set of KPIs. How do you pick the right KPIs to see the real difference? He'll be talking about tactics to improve improvements in MQL to win rates and how you can build an engaged and effective startup sales team. Are you excited to tune in? Well, I'm really excited. Let's hear it from Kent Holland.
1: Today we have uh, Kent Holland with us. He's a Brown and Stanford alumni. After his MBA at Stanford, uh, Ken went on to work for a lot of top-notch companies. He started as a business analyst at Deloitte. Then he went on to handle strategy at uh, LinkedIn, followed by Box, and currently at Copper. Um, Ken comes with a wealth of experience in devising strategy, sales strategy, planning, execution, GTM, accelerating growth, and uh, without a doubt, the best person equipped to talk about today's topic, how to develop a winning sales strategy. Uh, Kent, it would be great if you could uh, tell us a bit about yourself, your role at Copper.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And thanks for the introduction, Vivek. So uh, as Vivek shared, uh, currently VP of Sales at Copper. I own our global sales organization. Uh, We've got a sales team currently split across San Francisco, which is sort of our home base today, Toronto, which we're building out, and then the UK. So relatively global. uh, And we also operate in both a direct and partner-focused sales motion. So Um, We have both of those considerations to think about. Uh, Prior to that, you know, copper actually focuses primarily on the SMB space. And so the sales motion we have is designed around a high velocity uh, and uh, high efficiency sales motion. Uh, And there are a lot of particulars around that. I know one of the questions that we're going to dig into today is how do you think about the differences between an enterprise sales motion versus an SMB sales motion? um so that's that's my focus today uh prior spent time at box actually leading our microsoft partnership and so uh, specifically focused on how we went to market with Microsoft and how we sold together to our joint customer base. Uh, super interesting given Box, for those of you who, who know the company, is also competitors with Microsoft, um, but partners at the same time. And so that coopetition environment was uh, very interesting and unique. Um, and the focus there was on selling into Fortune 500. So a very enterprise-focused uh, sales engagement model sales cycles that could last uh, upwards of, you know, nine months, a year, or even longer. Uh, and then, you know, prior to, to that, had spent time at LinkedIn uh, helping with sales strategy and new product launches for a team that focused on the 20% at any given time of LinkedIn's uh, talent business that was sort of new product offerings that they were bringing to market uh, and qualifying whether those were going to become part of the core business going forward or uh, things that needed additional support or maybe uh, should be tweaked in in certain ways. So have experience across different types of sales motions and um, also thinking sort of high level about how to develop and build a a sales strategy that makes sense given the market you're going after and then taking that to the tactics. How do you put that in play? How do you actually build a team around that uh, and foster a team growth that uh, supports that sales strategy?
1: So to get started with today's topic, that is how to develop a winning sales strategy. First of all, not all strategies work as planned, and uh, what works for one company may not work for another. Uh, Before one decides to go for, okay, I need to develop a strategy. What are some key indicators or a challenge a company might be going through that suggests, okay, it is time to level up their strategy. Need to look for something.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So... You know, there's, there's certainly some things that I think you could look for that would suggest it's really time for you to dig into your sales strategy. Um, but I would also posit sort of on the flip side that uh, it's never a bad time and developing and sort of uh, tweaking and refining your sales strategy is a process you should continuously be going through. You know, I think um, based on a couple of my more recent experiences – Oftentimes, the trigger to look into a sales strategy is when you think that you could be doing better than you are. Maybe you've seen a decline in sales. Maybe uh, you've been stagnant for a few months in terms of uh, your customer-based growth. Uh, Maybe you're struggling to attract new customers in the same uh, ways that worked for you three, six months ago. Uh, In the case of Copper, we're primarily an inbound-focused sales motion, and so for us, uh, we saw that you know marketing leads were growing, uh, but our sales team Uh, needed to make sure that we were uh, crisp in the way that we converted them. And we felt like we had an opportunity to grow uh, the way that we were converting those leads. And when we looked at our conversion rates at each part of the funnel, and we'll talk a little bit about KPIs today that are important in different types of businesses, um, you know, it, it very clearly showed us some opportunities To uh, improve the way that we approached our customers that we went after the leads that we were getting and then also the way that we managed our opportunities and so refined our our sales strategy and process in light of uh, what we were trying to go after. You know, In, a, in another case, um, as we're thinking about global expansion, there's a lot of questions about whether you can continue to extend in the market that you're in or you have to look towards new markets, whether that's growing into a new customer segment, maybe instead of focusing on SMB, moving into mid-market or enterprise, uh, or extending geographically, and maybe that's uh, scaling into new regions. Uh, You know, for us, we looked at what the viability of our product was across those two vectors uh, and did some market analysis to help us sort of guide uh, the judgment that we want to move, uh, you know, geographically. But all that stems from a a need to grow. And I think in some cases, you'll be in some sort of acute pain. But in others, you know, we're all figuring out uh, how to develop businesses that grow and You know, I would posit, while it seems like, you know, many companies and startups sort of have a a hockey stick trajectory that's always up and to the right, that's seldom the case. There's always months or quarters where you're going through some sort of stagnation, or maybe you're struggling to grow in the way you want to. And I think, you know, if you're not thinking about developing and refining your sales strategy every three to six months, as the market changes, uh, new tools come out, et cetera, um, then you're going to be falling behind. And so, you know, I I would suggest that that's something that you don't necessarily wait for uh, that that indicator or challenge, um, but certainly when you see it, that's a sign that you know, it's time.
1: Three to six months, you say uh, that is. Um, I don't think a lot of people actually think about it that way. At least uh, as far as I know, and uh, what you're essentially saying is, uh, don't wait for any indicators or acute pain. Be more proactive, so and catch up with the market.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, if you and and it's not to say that you're going to totally scrap your whole sales motion and your whole sales strategy uh, and put that out the window and and toss in something new. But there are always little components you should be thinking about refining. Um, As an example, we'll talk about lead engagement for for inbound, but just using that as an example, um, and really this pertains to inbound and outbound over the last six to nine months, we've seen a massive proliferation in SaaS applications at a scale that, you know, even in prior years when it was uh, pretty crowded, we haven't seen. And now you've got all these folks that are trying to get in touch with the same set of leads in a lot of cases. And everyone has uh, developed around the strategy of of emailing and calling to get in touch with folks. Uh, But now you need different ways to engage Um, You know, Hippo Video is a great example of that, right? Creating a new medium to engage. And so, um, you know, that's just one example of a change that's come around in the last, I would say, six to nine months where traditionally, you know, eight to 12 touches on a lead uh, spaced out, you know, a couple days, there's a playbook around it. But if you're not differentiating and personalizing at scale now, then you're not gonna be able to drive your conversion rates in the way that you want to. So uh, you know, that's a process that we've gone through over the last six months and really refined. Uh, but there's always areas you should be looking to, to tweak in the way that you engage with your customers. Uh,
1: so before I, uh, we get into how to design a sales strategy, uh, you have worked at companies that targeted enterprise segment predominantly, such as Box and uh, now at Copper. I believe you are more focused on the mid-market and SMBs, especially G Suite customers.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, we're primarily focused on uh, the small business segment. You know, to us, I think we align very closely with Google. Um, and you know, to give a quick pitch on Copper, uh, we want to help our customers that are on G Suite be more productive and successful. Uh, we don't, uh, by by design allow for the multitude of customizations that some of our upmarket competitors offer uh, because we want to drive simplicity. We were built on Google's material design. So if you can use G suite, you can use copper. Um, And we really want to hit it out of the park with contact management, deal management, uh, and enabling our our customers to be productive. Um, And so, you know, atypical for a CRM in a two-week free trial, you can really get to know what Copper can, can do. And so uh, we're focused on that market, uh, but certainly there's a lot of differences between the approach we take and, and more of an enterprise sales motion. Brilliant. That's a very clear
1: portion. Anybody who uses G Suite, who is comfortable using G Suite, I mean, this is a CRM for you. Uh, so having worked in uh, both enterprise and SMB, what do you think are the, some differences between enterprise and SMB sales motion? Uh, how are they similar and how are they different?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, in both cases, you have products or services that you're, you're trying to take to market. And there are a lot of the core foundational sort of skills and motions that are the same. Uh, and a lot, at a high level, you, you're trying to drive business. You're looking at conversion rates from, you know, leads or uh, accounts that you're targeting through to, to wins. But the style of engagement, um, the nature of the way you engage with a customer uh, and build out an account is, is extremely different right? So on on the the one hand, if you're in a a enterprise motion focused on selling into the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 accounts, um, you know, your alignment is going to probably be one account per single sales rep. Uh, You'll spend a lot of time really mapping out that account, getting deep into their needs uh, and really understanding the way that company operates and designing a solution that fits. There'll be a lot of customization involved. um, And it's a much more complex, sales cycle and deal cycle. Oftentimes the deal values are you know, much greater. Uh, so the size of the prize is, is there, um, but it is a very custom engagement. Yep. And so it's a little bit more difficult to drive the kind of repeatability that uh, you look for in, in the SMB space. I would say by contrast, you know, copper sits really towards the other end of the spectrum focused primarily on SMB and, and the impetus is all around efficiency. In the way that we approach the market um, you know we have a phenomenal product but it's also not very expensive and and the customers that um, we're working with oftentimes aren't aren't large they're not you know the fortune 500s and so we need to find ways to scale the way that we engage with our customer base uh, but also provide the right level of service to help differentiate us in that market and crm you know is an interesting solution in that it's inherently not um, simple, right? It's not complicated as some of our competitors are, but what we're selling still requires uh, some customization and uh, some level of understanding of the customer's business and helping them to understand the value that we can bring. So, you know, for us, it's about how do we design a repeatable motion at scale? How do we partner very closely with marketing um, to be able to, to bring that motion to life? Uh, And then taking a look at every step of the funnel. How do we engage with leads? And what are the key components of that engagement? Uh, At what point do we create opportunities, having a very clear set of qualification criteria that drive that? And then how do we progress through a very efficient and streamlined sales process? um, And what are the key milestones of that process? Uh, through to a win. So um, I think there are a lot of similarities, you know, at the high level, but when you dig into it, the two motions across SMB and enterprise are, are very different. Um, and, you know, having seen, you know, LinkedIn is a unique example of a company that actually has figured out a way to serve across SMB mid-market and enterprise. Box to a certain extent, although Box is a little bit more mid-market and enterprise focused, and that shows in the way that they've designed their sales motion. It's primarily an outside sales team. They spend a lot more time um, really digging into a customer's processes uh, LinkedIn, you know, had figured out sort of a, a hybrid and I think was very successful at doing that. But I think it's uncommon for organizations to have a strong muscle across, you know, the the SMB mid-market and enterprise motions because they do sort of tend to range.
1: Would it be fair to say when um, for uh, large enterprises, it's predominantly outbound and whereas for SMBs and mid-market, uh, it is more inbound? Uh, would it be fair to say that or was it by a choice you went?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um you know, I think that's, that's a fair statement, but I think when you dig into the reasons behind it, um, when you get to the top of the, the pyramid and you're looking at the top end of the enterprise market, there's a finite number of customers in that space, yeah. right? Um, when you look at the SMB market, particularly the lower end of the SMB market, um, there are customers that are creating businesses, uh, businesses coming into, into the space every day. Um, and so when you have, the, the sheer volume that you have in the SMB space, I think it lends itself to more of an inbound approach where you need to find ways to constantly be engaging and generating interest from the prospects that you want to target. In the upper enterprise market, uh, more of an outbound approach, approach is necessary because there's a lot of Noise for those organizations, uh, and you also need to get in touch with folks that are relatively senior. They've made it obviously up the the chain at the organizations that that they're at, which are massive organizations. Um, and you also are trying to break into an account, so you're getting very targeted in terms of the folks that you're going after. There are only a handful of people at an organization that you really need to try and get to, and you know there's a finite number of organizations up at that top space. And so the nature of the way you have to approach them is a little bit different. Um, You can afford to be uh, a little bit less refined in the SMB space, uh, but cast a broader net and drive inbound. The other thing that I think is important to keep in mind is the average deal size. And it's um, pretty correlated to the type of business that you're generating. If you're selling into an enterprise market, you've got a very high ACV that you're selling. And so um, you can afford to spend a little bit more to drive a custom, more outbound approach, right? You're spending on an outbound rep. that's only going to be able to generate a certain number of leads uh, or active meetings per month. Uh, and then those will convert, you know, down the funnel, it's going to take uh, some real time for that opportunity to develop in all likelihood somewhere between six and 12 months. Uh, so, but you can afford to, to take that time in an SMB space where your average deal sizes are lower uh there's you know a tipping point between uh where inbound versus outbound actually uh, doesn't make as much cost sense so for us we operate in a space where outbound can be effective if it's very targeted uh, but it has to be focused on the customer segments that are going to drive towards the higher end of our deal values because if we align it to our sort of uh, broader icp Uh, we're not going to generate enough with just an outbound uh, sort of cold email, cold call approach. Uh, So, you know, what we're trying to do and, and what really any company that's doing outbound today is doing, very few are just doing Cold call, cold email with a random list. Everyone's getting very targeted uh, in the folks they go after in the enterprise space. That means out, you know, account-based marketing coupled with um, BDR or SDR outreach, potentially even AE engagement. You know, for us that means yes, very refined lists where we're understanding exactly which customers we're going after, uh, which industries, and making sure that's aligned to our ICP, and then going after the target buyers. But for the most part, uh, we're focused on building an inbound machine because um, the, the CAC, the cost of, of acquiring customers just doesn't quite make sense for an outbound motion in our space.
1: Uh, so uh, you, while mentioning about talking, you mentioned there's a lot of noise in the market. Uh, when a sales team is getting, engaging with leads, uh, so nowadays, uh, I just said that this is a uh, report that says uh, average C-speed uh, executive receives over 121 cold pitches a week. And when it comes to inbound, the moment uh, a person signs, uh, visits G2 Crowd or any other review sites, for example, or even if he signs up for a particular products demo, chances are he has already signed up for three or four other competitors to get to know the product. So when you're engaging with such leads, how do you ensure that you can stand out from that noise?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. So, and I think you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other sales and go-to-market leaders on the line that can attest to this. Um, we all have too many tools currently deployed at the organization and we're getting too many emails from different organizations trying to sell in with a new angle or a new solution that can help us engage with our customer base Um, so yeah it becomes incumbent upon all of us as as sales professionals to figure out how do we stand stand out from the noise Um, and there are different ways that you can differentiate yourself once you've gotten that conversation started but to get in the door Uh, can be difficult. That's one of the challenges and and, uh, why outbounding has actually become more and more difficult. Uh, For us, we do it in a couple of ways. I think about the importance, the continued importance of effective marketing, and that marketing has to be split across sort of the top of the funnel awareness and branding exercises, coupled with tactical sort of middle, of middle of funnel bottom of funnel activities nurture streams and campaigns that are really driving uh, buying signals and and surfacing those for sales um, but the other way is this concept of personalization at scale and whether you're doing uh, outbound or inbound lead follow-up it's critical to find ways to drive efficient personalized outreach right because all of us only have a limited amount of time in the day uh, and you know, coming from experience, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, uh, you know, when you get an email that is clearly a copy-paste with nothing customized around your organization or how this solution really fits your specific needs. Um, it's not one that you're going to respond to, Uh, you know, where I do respond to the occasional cold or warm email that I get from someone is when they've done the research on uh, something that I did or uh, have done in my past through LinkedIn, maybe found an article about um, something I did, you know, even in my past uh, when I was in college or in business school or the fact that I had a startup at one point and, you know, really tie into that and something that, you know, they can sort of connect with me on an emotional level about, uh, to drive that initial engagement. So I think, you know, whereas traditionally and, and even as recently as, you know, nine months, a year ago, uh, there was a lot of, um, I think, thought leadership around the importance of having a very structured uh, 10, 12 touch sequence that ran over the first, you know, couple of weeks or in an outbound scenario, maybe over the course of a month or month and a half where you hit them with a very clear sequence of emails, um, you know, I can see the thread that comes through. You've either got me with the first couple emails or you don't, but they have to be the right ones. And so I think this concept of personalization at scale is going to become more and more important. And, and that's the way that you stand out from the noise. And once you've hit a couple of times uh, and not gotten a response for the most part, unless that person was on vacation or busy, um, you know, they've chosen not to respond to you. And so, yes, there's some value from sort of the old tactic of, Hitting them with, with 10 touches, but it's got to be personalized.
1: So, uh, when you talk about personalization, the next question that always comes is how do you manage personalization at scale versus volume? Yep. Okay. Uh, so, for a typical sales work, okay, uh, if I'm going to reach out to say five people or two people a day, which I can do a very in depth research about the person, get to know about the person, then I can uh, customize and personalize my. Outreach accordingly. Whereas yep. when the volume increases, uh, it get, becomes hard.
2: Uh, yeah, you how have would to manage you? that.
1: Yep. So, yep.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, with this, and regardless of whether you're inbound or outbound, I always like to work backwards from what we're ultimately trying to deliver right? And if you've been sitting in the the sales motion that you have for, you know, more than a few months, you should have a perspective on what your conversion rates look like, what your average deal size looks like. And so you should have a sense of how many wins you need in a given period to hit your number or exceed it. Uh, how many opportunities then need to be in the pipeline for you to be able to have the coverage you need to hit that number? Uh, how many leads or accounts coupled with account-based marketing, you know, however you end up going after uh, opportunities and generating opportunities, how many leads you need to have uh, hit to go out to, to surface the opportunities that you have based on the conversion rates you've seen in the past. That then defines uh, sort of what you need to do and you can look at your, your team and say, well, how many leads, how many messages does that mean each team member is gonna have to generate per day or per week to be able to, to get to our targets? And it's a little bit crude. And I think you want to bake in some buffer on uh, what you're seeing from a conversion rate perspective. But that can then tell you what each each person needs to deliver and give you a a benchmark to suggest and and have the understanding of what realistically a rep can deliver and whether those two are aligned. And if they're not, it might suggest you need to, to either build your team or maybe you can actually go after some more. But, uh, but I think that's, that's one way I would think about it. And then I would triangulate that against what you realistically feel a rep's capacity is. So you understand what you need to deliver and what, you know, with the type of personalization you're going for, a rep can do uh, to get at sort of ultimately where you're going to be. Um, that varies a little bit across outbound and inbound. And I will say that when you're going with an outbound approach, personalization becomes even more critical and doing additional research be- becomes even more critical uh, even though the the response rates are going to be lower. When you're going inbound, you have the luxury of having a hand raiser that you're going after. And so um, it's not just personalization at scale, but also time to touch, time to engagement that are really important in an inbound motion. And you can typically uh, get a little bit more efficiency, a little bit more volume out of your inbound responses than your outbound.
1: Brilliant. Uh, so the next thing is uh, one of the key problems we uh, not just sales, even marketing, we struggle to uh, learn Is okay, I have crafted a message around my product, a portioning statement perhaps, but how do I know that it is resonating with my audience or the target market I intend to? How, how
2: can I know that? Yeah, it's, uh, this is a tough one because you never, assessing product market fit and sort of the fit that your sort of ICP messaging has with your target market um, it can be very tricky because there can be signals that are misleading all the time, but you know, and sort of the high level, what your guidepost should be always comes back to setting up the right KPIs. So if you're looking at the right measures from a a top of funnel marketing uh, starting point all the way through to the handoff to sales or any of the outbounding work that you're doing, getting into uh, your sales funnel, and then the way that you progress things through the sales funnel, that should give you a fairly clear picture of where you have opportunities for improvement and where you're actually doing quite well. And in cases where you're struggling to convert sort of broad awareness down into a buying signal on the marketing side, or where your outbound emails uh, start to really drop in terms of their conversion rate into meetings and converting those meetings then into active opportunities, um, that can be your best signal for whether or not your message is resonating. And as you're tweaking it, you can start to get a sense of whether or not that rate, those rates are improving or decreasing. And, and to a certain extent, you need to find the right balance there because you're also going to have a lot of other things you need to try and work on throughout the sales funnel. But from a messaging perspective, that's what I would look at. What are the conversion rates on – those messages that are going into market, into meetings, into opportunities. Um, And, you know, if you're able to get the the meetings, but ultimately not the opportunities, then that might be a signal that your message is great, but it's not backed up by what your product can really do because that initial discovery call is not yielding what you want it to. Or maybe you have a sales productivity uh, challenge where you actually need to make sure the reps are uh, geared around the right message. If you're not getting the initial meetings to start with, that might be a signal that maybe your messaging isn't there. Um, but if at the same time you see your win rates are pretty strong and your op creation rates are pretty strong, then it's really about how do you bridge that gap to, to get the meeting. So you have to look at your KPIs across the funnel, uh, as sort of a a picture of how things are going and, and a guide as to where you need to engage.
1: Awesome. Makes perfect sense. Break down your messages and see the conversion for each and every message you've crafted. Perfect. Uh, so in terms of, uh, KPIs, what KPIs inform your success?
2: Uh, yeah, on- it's, so we look at a lot and I think, you know, what I'll say about KPIs and metrics in general, um, you know, obviously there's been a big focus on deep visibility and data around all parts of, of the business. And I think that's really important. Um, I think where it gets a little bit more challenging is within all of the metrics that we could look at surfacing, the ones that are really going to drive your decision-making because you can get lost in a world of way too many metrics that actually cloud focus a little bit. And so what I like to do, and I sort of talked about this a little bit is start with um, conversion rates. And, and when I look at, you know, what uh, our sales team performance needs to be uh, and whether or not we're achieving you know, against that expectation, I'm first and foremost looking at our conversion rates from MQL to win. And I break that down from MQL to what we call a sales qualified lead, which is effectively the point at which we've qualified a lead and converted it into an opportunity. I then look at a sales accepted opportunity, which is an opportunity that started to progress in the pipeline. And then I look at a win. And so I can see... Uh, the conversion rates across each of those four milestones. And that helps me understand uh, how my sales team is performing and whether or not the marketing handoff is going effectively. And if there's different situations then where certain rates are off, take you know, the MQL to SQL rate is a little bit lower this month, then I can dig in and I want to understand whether it's a sales productivity challenge or a marketing lead quality challenge. And that, then I can go deeper from there into source level detail to understand if it's a specific campaign we ran that's driving that, or is it a specific segment, or is it a specific rep? Um, if it's a situation where our SQL to win rates are really high, uh, maybe too high, then that tells me we might be choking the funnel earlier on because everything we get to progress into our sales funnel is closing. Well, I want to, I want to get more into the funnel. Why are we? Uh, not progressing some of the things that were cutting off early on. So that's how I, I think about it. Um, and it's just that all I'm-
1: counterintuitive because I've never heard it. Because uh, this is the first time, in fact, I've heard someone say uh, if uh, there's a too much of conversion happening in SQL to win rate, uh, probably, yeah, as you said, like, you might be choking up the sales funnel, and then it might be uh, time to think a bit broader.
2: Yeah, you know, we actually had that situation happen to us in the middle of last year. We saw that our win rates were relatively high, uh, but what we realized was that our conversion rates from lead to opportunity were lower than expected. And I think in upon digging in, we spent about three or four months very prescriptively and consciously trying to lessen our uh, qualification criteria because what we realized is we were over-qualifying before leads really had a chance to progress through the opportunity uh, and us to really get into what the customer needed, you know, in a 30 minute call, when you're assessing a customer's business, especially when we're talking about CRM, which sits at the middle of their business, but really this applies to any solution. You have to make sure you understand the full picture before you qualify out. And I think uh, our sales team had been a little bit tight on qualifying so that they were only spending their time on opportunities that mattered. But what was happening is that, uh, you know, we were actually missing out on, I think, an opportunity to, yes, maybe spend a little bit more time and maybe have a a lesser win rate. And you're going to take some more calls that don't end up converting into a win. But at the end of the day, you're going to close more business. And so there's a balance there, but, but that was something we worked on consciously. It actually helped drive up our MQL to win rate. But what we saw is that our MQL to SQL rate went up and our win rate from opportunity to win went down a little bit, but the overall rate improved by about 15%. So
1: follow-up question on that: When you see SQL to SAL dropping, sales accepted and lead. So yep. what do you think could be the problem, general problem?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So um, you know, I think at every step there are certain things you're you're going to think about, right? I talked about the MQL to to yes. opportunity rate. You're going to look at sales productivity or qualification criteria, or is it marketing lead quality? Um, If you're getting a lot of meetings set up and creating that initial opportunity, but they're not progressing, then I think it goes back to something similar to what we were talking about with your messaging. Uh, Is your qualification criteria maybe too low? Are you getting too much into the funnel? And then that initial conversation is not yielding anything. Uh, Is your messaging off? Potentially, is that initial conversation going in a different direction? And then when they get to know your product, it's, it's stymied um you know do you potentially have things that you're not qualifying for that Uh, you should be. So I think that's how I I start to think about it. And then I dig into some of the tactics with the team. And we'll go through, you know, as we start to identify some things, we'll test things. But as we identify potential improvements, then we go into, you know, team training and enablement. And we have a weekly cadence around what we do there. And so we're always tweaking different things. Um, Every month, I'm looking at how do our conversion rates look across this whole funnel? What does that tell us about, you know, the changes we made last month and what we need to do this month? And we're iterating. We talked a bit about metrics. It was quite comprehensive.
1: Now, it could be better if we can go into uh, more into culture. How do you build a team? So what about sales team members? How do you build a culture for success?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I think getting a sales team culture right is uh, tricky, but it's one of the most important things you can do. Um, and every team culture is going to be really different. So, you know, right now I'm operating in an inside sales uh, motion. And so, you know, folks are in the office, we're all together. On the enterprise side, you may have a distributed team where no one's in the office ever, right? You might have folks living in region that are on the go, in either case, it's really important to do a couple of things. I think one is drive uh, sort of team camaraderie and make sure folks stay connected. That encourages them to stay connected with each other and to the business. Um, but what it does is it builds this sort of unity that keeps people engaged uh, and, and focused, even when maybe they don't have as much going on and, and uh, could sort of lose sight of things. They, they have that connective tissue. Um, the other thing that I found really successful and this has worked actually in both enterprise sort of outside sales roles, as well as this inside sales model. But I found it particularly effective in an inside sales SMB approach is really making sure that the team is involved in decision-making. I think there's a, a um, common approach to management in general, and this maybe extends beyond sales. Um, it's easy to get into a top-down view where you're sitting in the executive meetings you have your pulse uh, your finger on the pulse of the business you're making decisions about the way the team's going to operate and then all of a sudden you go to roll out those decisions but the team hasn't been brought along for the journey in the last three months of planning and meetings and all of that they didn't really know about that Uh, weren't involved in it didn't have a chance to be heard so You know, tactically, I think we went through some of that uh, over the last six months and and made a change to really get the team a lot more involved in the thinking behind what we were doing, providing feedback. Uh, And, you know, certainly you have to make sure that you walk the line between, uh, you know, letting all of their uh, feedback dictate the strategy versus inform the strategy, which is what it should do. But uh, I think we found that to be a really effective mechanism for helping people feel a sense of ownership over team operations and team strategy, team direction. And everything from uh, you know the way that we run our weekly cadence now, the way that our one-on-ones are structured, uh, to the cross-functional team meetings that we have baked into our calendar, uh, to, you know, in, in some cases, the way we even think about uh, our compensation philosophy are now informed in large part by the sessions that we had with the whole team. And, and it's brought everyone into this position where they feel like they have a real sense of ownership over the direction and ultimately the success of the organization and the, and the company. I think that's been really powerful uh, because it's, it's difficult. I mean, in a lot of cases, uh, especially if folks are outside sales or younger in their career, um, you know they're still figuring out whether this is an organization they want to be a part of. In some cases, uh, you want to get the most out of them. Sometimes sales can be, I think, really exciting. But in some, sometimes it can be monotonous, and there's a lot that you have to deal with. And so I think giving people that sense of ownership has been really powerful. Um, but you know I think there's no silver bullet for that. Every culture is different. Um, you have to lean into it. You have to lean into it. Brilliant uh
1: so this is something i actually uh saw a couple of days on linkedin this post created a quite a bit of buzz and a lot of interaction so i would love to hear your take on it uh so this post goes saying okay salespeople people work hard you, they meet their targets this quarter and vice um cook and they beat it this year and next year it becomes even higher and so oftentimes they deal with they get demotivated like uh, how do you explain It says, okay, I've bet the target. That doesn't mean it was easy. Yeah. Uh, So it is always going to be increasing. That's a fact. And so how do you deal with that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, that's, it gets into compensation philosophy a lot, because that's where this seems to come up where you've got a period of strong performance um, that in effect, then drive management to think about increasing the targets. Um, You know, we, Philosophically, we want to have 85 uh, percent, you know, average uh, attainment is sort of what we think about. We want to position people that are great to blow it out of the water, uh, and we position our accelerators to enable folks to make a lot of money if they're great at what they do. Um, so, you know, I think we try and maintain that view, and we try and be very tethered in the way that we think about compensation to what's realistic from the conversion rates that we've seen in the past and from Um, the marketing volume, given we're an inbound business. I think in whatever type of business you operate, you have to make sure that you triangulate the way you think about what success means uh, against what's possible and try and hold back from looking at the performance of a portion of the team or even all of the team as the key indicator of what success should look like if you know that your team uh, you know came into the first quarter in 2020 absolutely crushed it they were staying late uh you know they were working really hard traveling out to take that extra sales meeting when they didn't have to um, you know putting in time at the end of the month just to, to go above and beyond and they came out on top you have to make sure that you balance that performance against the expectation that you put in place. And so, uh, you know, I, I try and make it always, um, you know, aspirational, but achievable. Uh, and so you you have to try and, and do that. It's not easy, but I think, yeah, you walk a fine line because if you get into a position where you're continually raising quotas, uh, that can be very damaging to, to a team, uh, certainly very demotivating, as you said. Um, so I think you want to try and, and, Set the expectation that you've done your research on what's realistic. You've put that in place and the team can go get it. I think the other thing that, that is helpful is to try and maintain some level of consistency, both in the way that you structure compensation, but also the targets themselves. Uh, you can't keep changing the goalposts. If you keep moving the goalposts, then uh, then you're gonna find that the team never really feels like they have a good handle on what they're supposed to do, never feels like they can be successful. Because every time they are successful, you're changing the definition. So you have to try and maintain some continuity there.
1: Uh, so you had also uh, talked about doing a lot of experiments and uh, staying nimble. So how do you stay and remain nimble and continue to iterate on these until you find what works? Uh, while at the same time keeping the people excited uh, about what you're doing and also keeping them motivated because you change okay this month we follow this it might work it might not work again i go into a different strategy so how do you keep your team member
2: yeah it's a great question i I think it goes back to the the answer that i was talking about for your previous question on um, building a culture of success i think it comes back to making sure the team feels a sense of ownership and is involved in the thinking And not only is that important in terms of keeping the team engaged, but it's actually important for you arriving at the right outcomes because, you know, for those of us on the phone that are leading the teams, we're not on sales calls every day in the same way that our team is. They're the ones that are, are on the front lines, talking to prospects for the first time. Um, you know, we fly in for you know, maybe the bigger accounts and the demos that are happening with, with those companies or maybe for pricing conversations. But at that point, a lot of the learning is already passed. And so I think it's really important that you start with an understanding from the team about some of the things they think we can be doing differently. Uh, You know, how can we make uh, changes that are going to impact their day-to-day, make them more successful, better engage with the prospects that we're talking to? Uh, What are the biggest pain points that are coming up? Where do customers get a little bit confused or lost on a call? Uh, And what can we tweak? And so I think if you surface that from the team, you're actually going to find that there's a lot of great ideas, and those are really, really important to have. That's also the beginning of making sure they're involved, And part of the process of iterating and testing. And from there, I think you have to be very focused on just a couple of things that you're going to go try and tweak, both because change is very difficult for folks. And so you have to be very tight on change management, but also because if you're going to learn from some of the changes you're making, if you make more than a couple changes, it's very difficult to know what's working and what's not. So you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, And then throughout the process, I think it's maintaining that tight transparency with your sales team so that they know. That they're the ones that are really helping to lead these changes, and you know whether it's a success or a failure, we're going to be in it together. And the sales team should be celebrated in the successes that will ultimately come from from those changes. Uh,
1: I think that's about the questions we have. Uh, I thought I think we can dive into the audience's questions right now.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to take any that are on the chat.
1: Uh, so the first one is uh, with GDPR kicking in, uh, what are the ways you are getting leads into the funnel?
2: Yeah, um, that's a good one. So uh, with GDPR, um, you know, California, we have uh, a Data Privacy Act coming into play as well. Um, it, it's a really, I think, important time for us to make sure as a sales organization and group of sales leaders that we're tied on the way that we manage uh, personal information. You know, for us because we're an inbound focused um, business we have clear terms of service we're gdpr compliant and the way that we message and market to our customers um, we're encouraging them to start a free trial or request a demonstration and then when they do we're following up via email or phone that they've provided so we're not pulling any information uh, that they haven't shared and given us consent to leverage Um, that's not always the case with some of the other tools that are out there that will provide, uh, you know, email and phone lists to go after and and targeted accounts. But I think you have to be very careful. It depends on the space in which you're operating. But certainly if you're going after um, and, and building a sales strategy, a sales motion. Uh, that's global you have to be very cognizant of the global policies that are in place and make sure you're adhering to them those are going to continue changing i think ultimately they're going to have an impact on the way we approach the market um so i think you know the best i can offer is that you've got to be very cognizant of them and uh, make sure that they're accounted for in your design uh
1: the next one is what is a playbook you would recommend i believe it is for sales strategies. so what is the playbook uh,
2: you would recommend the playbook i would recommend you know I don't have a uh, one size fits all playbook. Um, I think that, you know, the, the style that I aspire to is grounded in data first. So I look at assessing the sales motion that you're building or that we have internally or that, you know, any, anything I would look at, I would start with an understanding of what the key milestones are in that process from the top of the funnel through to current customer and beyond uh, including sort of onboarding activation and ultimate expansion of that customer. And I wanna understand from both a revenue and a logo perspective, how are prospects and customers progressing through that funnel? Um, that's going to then give me an understanding of where there's opportunity to improve based on what's in place. I think whether it's an SMB or an enterprise organization and the deal size and typical deal cycle is going to give you insight into, uh, what type of structure you need. There's a certain threshold, I think around 10 K, uh, based on some of the, the research that I've done and thinking about it. Uh, as to where an inbound motion versus an outbound motion makes sense, and so if your ACV is around 10K or above, I think it makes sense to start thinking about an outbound motion where you can have you know BDRs that uh, go after target account lists. They create 10 to 12 opportunities or, or meetings per month. Maybe that converts to um, you know four to six opportunities, et cetera. So you can you can map those out. I think you just have to triangulate though from a bunch of different directions. There's not a one size fits all uh, sales playbook. Uh, but there are important things that you need to do along each milestone or each part of the process. And I think start with data, lay out what those key milestones are for you, uh, understand where your ACV is and whether that's you know, more along the lines of SMB or enterprise, that'll inform the team structure and whether you're going to have SDRs and AEs, or are you just going to have inside sales reps? Um, do you need solutions engineers? How technical is the sale? So that'll give you a good context on sort of the core structure. And then from there, you've got to just develop and iterate a little bit. You've got to understand where you're successful and where you're not. And where you're not, then you can dig into how to to provide more structure, give your reps more support, more training, uh, partner better with marketing, partner more closely with customer success. You'll have to read the the writing on that one in terms of the metrics as they come out, you know, in line with uh, what you've put in place. Uh,
1: The next question is about copper CRM. So how is copper different from a traditional CRM like Salesforce?
2: Yeah. Um, great question. So, uh, I get to talk about this one every day. Um, interestingly, copper and Salesforce play in two very different spaces. So if we're in the same conversation, there's a little bit of crossover, but more than likely, um, one of us is in the wrong conversation at that point we're purely focused on G Suite and what we're focused on doing is operating at the intersection of CRM and productivity. So imagine two sort of circles that you know, form a Venn diagram, CRM on one hand, productivity on the other. We wanna play uh, where those two meet. And so you know, we do do contact management really, really well with our G Suite integrations. All of your email and contacts can be automatically synced with no data entry required. Uh, we do pipeline and deal management really well. So we have a Kanban style view. It's very user friendly and you can track all of your sales opportunities. But we also enable you to attach your G Suite documents to a a person record or an opportunity record. We have great task management. And so we provide this sort of productivity layer underneath. And from a product development perspective, that's a big area we're investing uh, because we want to help our customers, our SMB customers, be more productive in the way that they work with their customers. And we believe that they should be organizing, or that we should be organizing all of our work around the relationships that we have and enabling the people to do the jobs that people can do best, right? And so, not spending time doing data entry, uh, complex mapping, uh, having a, a Salesforce admin that has to sit in there. We wanna give you a tool that works, that focuses on allowing you to do the jobs that you're focused on doing, not just one that helps you map out all of your your sales and then your success team and uh, your customer service team. Uh, So so that's sort of our focus. And again, squarely in the SMB space.
1: Uh, Actually, this is something I've personally seen. Whenever there's a meeting between marketing and sales, uh, the number one question or problem that arises is the CRM is not updated. And the question, okay, we don't have enough time, so.
2: Yeah. Totally. I mean, we've we've done everything we can with G Suite to automate the way that all of your emails, your calendar invites, uh, your hangout meetings get uh, synced back into the tool. And so it's very easy to have visibility on any contact or opportunity record without having to add anything. And we integrate with VoIP providers. So... All of that sort of automated data entry is a key part of this, right? And enabling people to get time back in their day so that they can focus on engaging with customers, engaging with uh, partners uh, in the ways that that they need to. Uh,
1: I think we have one more question. So when targeting large enterprises, what are the inputs or assistance sales should take from marketing? Say that one more time. Uh, when, when targeting tar- large enterprises, what are the inputs or areas where sales should collaborate with marketing specifically?
2: Yeah, Um, it's a great question. I think, you know, the differences in in marketing approach, uh, and this is a broad generalization, but in a more inbound SMB world, the marketing team needs to be sort of focused on two things. One is branding and awareness. The other though, is very tactical lead generation. And so the way that they structure campaigns and drive leads is very important. I think for an enterprise, in um, an enterprise motion, uh, there's an equal tie-in with marketing. Certainly brand and awareness become really, really important because you need to be able to, to be seen as a key player in the enterprise space, be seen as a brand that's going to be around for a long time, that that they can rely on, that's trustworthy. So you're building that brand. Um, but you're also partnering actually a lot more closely on um, more targeted campaigns, account-based marketing outreach. And so you'll have sort of the always-on campaigns in the same way an SMB organization might, but you're also going to be partnering more closely with specific sales teams to do uh, account-based marketing into Fortune 500, making sure you have a list of the 10 target profiles within each account you're going to go after. And, you know, potentially marketing can play the role of sending that first personalized outreach out if the BDR team can't. And so they start to partner very closely with your sales development and business development teams. Um, But I think they should be looked at as a real partner in that. I think a lot of times um, there can be a lot of finger pointing that happens in any type of organization, but in an enterprise organization where there's not often as seamless of a tie between a marketing campaign that generated a lead that sales closed within a, you know, a month. That just doesn't happen in the enterprise space. Uh, but the reality is marketing is a critical component of a successful go-to-market team. And looking at it as uh, a pure sales motion that's gonna build an enterprise business um, isn't right. Marketing plays a big role in that. And I think you know, thinking about the many channels through which you can engage customers is, is really important in the enterprise space. So I would encourage that to be a really tight partnership.
1: I think that's about the questions we have. Uh... So uh, thank you very much for the wonderful session, Ken. Uh, it was brilliant. So I personally had a lot of questions answered, especially when it comes to messaging because uh, that is like, something that I deal with day in, day out. Um, so apart from that, uh, guys, uh, feel free. To, if you are using G Suite, feel free to check out Copper CRM. They have a two-week free trial. It's brilliant. Uh, and Ken, where can we follow you? Uh, are you on yeah, Twitter? Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, LinkedIn is probably best. Uh, I'm happy to connect. And uh, yeah, Vivek, thanks for the time today. And thanks everyone for joining. Really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episode with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. Also, please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.